In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin, and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen Watts Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was me. is now in. Hour number deuce here on this Monday. Appreciate Sam Gordon for joining us. Uh, talking Pacquiao's loss to Ugas on Saturday night. We'll visit with Al Bernstein a little bit later on this hour, so hang tight for that. lot to do, lot to cover, as you know. And plus, we've got... A busy week this week. College football on the horizon. Looking forward to that. And uh, we'll also touch on a little Raiders. And uh, they were in action against the Rams. No starters really played, really, for the most part. At least the skill position players. Well, they played in the two-day practices. They just didn't play in the actual game. Yeah, And there there (laughs) were a few altercations uh, over there. They were getting ready for fight weekend in Vegas. Of course they were. Even though they were down in L.A. So, all right. Dive into that. All right, Matthew Holt joins us, U.S. Integrity. What is going on, my man? TC, how we doing? We're doing great, brother. Doing great. All right, so uh, we've been talking a lot of uh, Pacquiao Ugas. Uh, if you got some thoughts, man, hit us what you saw. Well, the, one, the only thing that really caught my eye is I, there were some rumors going around prior to the fight on fight morning that Ugas had a torn bicep or an injured bicep. And what we saw was betting odds that opened around Pacquiao minus 400 quickly dropped to about Pacquiao minus 330 as all the sharp money came in on the underdog, went back up to about minus 400 fight night with all the rumors swirling around. And uh, at the end of the day, Ugas ends up winning the fight clearly. No bad decisions from any judges as he wins sweeping across the board. But I thought it was interesting how a little, you know, it just goes to show you how a couple of posts on social media can really affect some wagering lines. You know what? I saw those, I think it was uh, on Friday, you know, some of those things. And I got a couple of phone calls, too, where people were saying, hey, you know, you know, what do you know about this and everything? And I said, well, <laughs> I said, I didn't hear anything about it. Uh, and again, so I was kind of keeping a close eye on his, his left shoulder. They said it was like a, like a tricep or bicep injury, and uh, th- that jab was pumping fine. Uh, there, there was no issues you know, whatsoever. It just blows me away, like you said, Matt, with social media, how so many of these people come up, they think they got information, everyone wants to break news, and, and how a lot of people just they almost kind of treat it as gospel. And if you look at you know the hardcore boxing people that uh, you know the follow uh, follow the sport and everything, you didn't hear them chirping. It was just these other people want to be the trying to make a story, and then now my phone starts to ring and people are texting me and all this other stuff. I go, well, let's see. I talked to people for the commission. They haven't said nothing. I uh, know uh, Freddie Roach doesn't know anything about it on, on Manny's side, so I didn't put much credence into it whatsoever. But like you said, man, it's always out there. Didn't Max Scherzer just tell us don't believe Twitter when go. everybody said he was going to the Padres? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, man. Very good. All right, uh, man, I want to talk with you about uh, the Big Ten coming down with their announcement today saying uh, that uh, they are going to be having some other uh, COVID protocols put in place. The Big Ten commissioner says if a team tests positive for covid that uh, and they cannot feel the team that this will result in a forfeit, no postponement, no makeup date, and uh, if uh, both teams uh, are affected in this situation, it becomes a no contest. But this is something we've been talking about for the last couple weeks about how is college football going to handle the situation because we know there are going to be positive COVID tests, whether it's going to hit players, whether it's going to hit coaches, you know, people in the program. And we were talking last week about I'm thinking they're going to try to take the NFL's mode from last year and say, hey, we're going to plug on with this thing, and uh, we're not going to go with the postponement model that they went last year. So I'm happy to see this from the Big Ten. I hope other conferences follow suit uh, as well here. Look, the Big Ten last year who – 
kind of was some of the first, you know, leagues to cancel games, and uh, they probably regretted jumping the gun and being first. Not surprisingly, they weren't first with this decision. We saw it was the Pac-12 almost a month ago now. I think over three weeks ago we saw the Pac-12 come out with this exact same policy. The Big 12 followed suit. The ACC has followed suit. And now the Big 10 following suit in an attempt to help get more and more student-athletes vaccinated coming out saying, hey, if you are forced to not play football game due to COVID-related issues, you're going to have to forfeit. And the good thing for the sports books is when it first happened, we saw some reductions in uh, some of the unders or at least the season win totals for some of the Pac-12 teams because we said, boy, there's probably going to be a couple. So you can bet some of these unders knowing that they may get to play a game or less or two than some of the other teams. But now I think there's been an adjustment universally in college football as every single major conference has come out with the same. The SEC hasn't come out with anything, but the SEC was the last to come out with any policies related to COVID last year. They tend to take a more let's-wait-and-see approach. So um, at this point, it seems universal amongst all of the colleges, and I think betters need to be understanding that that's what's going to be the case. And they should look, you know, there's a lot of numbers out there if you search Twitter, and this is what I think a better could t- potentially take advantage of, is if you search Twitter and you go through some of these credible beat reporters, they've done the work. These schools have to report to the conference and to the NCA what the percentage of their athletes are that have um, been vaccinated, and those numbers tend to get leaked around, and uh, we've seen many people post them, and and you could see some of these schools are still in the 30%, 40% range, while some of them are in the 90% range. Well, those 90% schools, let's just face it, and regardless of what anybody thinks of vaccines, they're less likely to get games, uh, to have to forfeit games because of COVID, and they're more likely to get a forfeiture win. So you may have a couple of teams out there with really low season win totals, but because they have over 90% vaccination rates, there's a chance that they could go into a game of 14, 17, 21-point underdog. But because their opponent has a 30% vaccination rate, more likely to get COVID, may have to forfeit a game suddenly, well, they have a better chance of picking up a win or two than they might. And that could be an opportunity in the season win totals market. Let me ask you this, Matt. So from a sportsbook perspective here, if one of these games happen where it is a, a forfeit, uh, what, what happens here? I mean, how, how do you grade that, especially when you're dealing with, uh, with, with point spreads here? Like, say, I don't just, you know, uh, sake of argument, say you got, you know, Michigan against, uh, you know, Purdue and Michigan's favored by eight and a half or whatever. Well, guess what? You know, uh, Purdue forfeits uh, the game. How is that graded or is it graded? So as far as I know, so for season win totals, it will still count and it will be graded as a loss. Right. Uh, But for individual games, what they say is for the individual games to have action, there still has to be the 55 minutes of play rule. So if there isn't 55 minutes of played, obviously in these forfeiture games, there's likely to be zero minutes played. Most of them will be forfeited prior to the start of the games, I assume. Um, thus, all bets on the game themselves should be refunded. Just the same rule they're using yeah. as Wisconsin UNLV in the bowl game years ago, where they, you know, the van crashed into the transformer and the lights went out. That famous game. <laughs> right. Yes, because they won't actually be able to fulfill the 55 minutes of play. All bets on those games will have to be refunded. Yeah, yeah. And no different than uh, we've seen with these rainstorm or hurricane games where we've had these, you know, four hour delays in the middle of the second quarter. Uh, same uh, principle there. Yeah, lightning in the area or right. something like that. And yeah. all of a sudden they have to cancel yeah. the game. Yeah. It should also be noted, too, and I'm sure that you were going to touch on this, but if both teams have COVID issues, then it's considered a no contest. Correct. Yeah. So it's- Correct. But I don't think we're going to run into a bunch of those. Because at the end of the day, what's going to happen? I'd be willing to bet, Frank, that we get zero of those this year. And this is why. Because at the end of the day, somebody's going to release their numbers first, and they're going to go, oh, crap, look, you can't play. And they're not going to go through the whole, does the other team have enough? At that point, the other team's just going to say, yeah, yeah, no, we're good. We have enough, you know, walk-ons, whatever. Somebody's going to end up having to forfeit, I think. And and I think once you get a forfeit or two from a big team, you're going to see some vaccination numbers go up. 
The NCAA released an updated COVID guidance on uh, August the 4th. It said, unvaccinated college athletes should be tested weekly for COVID-19, wear masks, and in most situations, and be guaranteed, or I, I, I should say, and be quarantined if exposed to the virus, while vaccinated individuals should not be tested routinely. So that is uh, pretty interesting. Well, again, they're trying to get everybody to get vaccinated here. And like your point, Matt, if you're vaccinated, you're going to play more football games. There's not going to be a risk of you, you know, not, uh, you know, not playing. And uh, again, I just. I, doesn't make sense why, you know, more of the institutions and more of these teams, you know, would just, you know, kind of put the hammer down and say, guys, if you want to play, you, know, you got to get vaccinated. Look, I never fault anybody who doesn't want to get vaccinated. It's their own personal choice. But let's face it, in 2021, life is easier for you if you get vaccinated, especially if you are a collegiate or professional athlete. If the choices are constantly getting tested, have to wear a mask everywhere you go, being quarantined from everyone else on the field, or not having to go through that testing and not having to wear a mask and not having to deal with any of that by getting a free shot, I'm getting the free shot. Now, I'm not faulting anybody who doesn't, but at the end of the day, for every one of those student-athletes who gets it, your life is easier. I, it's amazing. Well, you know, another thing, too, I know a lot of people were saying that they weren't getting vaccinated because the FDA hadn't approved it. The FDA has now just approved yeah. the Pfizer vaccine. So do you think that will have a bigger effect, or do you think some people were just using that as an excuse not to get the vaccine? I think there's lots of excuse. Things have been politically polarizing the last few years. And again, because I try to avoid being political at all times, I don't even I don't even ask people, to be honest, what the reason is that they don't get vaccinated. I tend to find it's very personal. And and in some cases, I probably wouldn't understand. So I even ask. And so I think it's a personal choice by everyone. But what's not really debatable is Everything is going to be easier for you in terms of practice, preparation, by getting that vaccination because you don't have to jump through all those extra hoops anymore. Matthew Hole joins us from U.S. Integrity, talking a little college football. Matt, let's keep it on the football side, but let's move over to the pro side. Uh, Cam Newton, unable to practice this week with the Patriots due to a misunderstanding of COVID protocols on his part. Now, he got approval to go out of state to do an independent medical appointment. had nothing to do with, with COVID. Now, he has taken COVID tests and tested negatively every day that he's been in camp here. But according to the NFL and NFLPA protocols, the Tier 1 and Tier 2 individuals, including, of course, all players, are exempt from daily testing and allowed to travel if they have received the COVID-19 vaccine. So, therefore, sounds like Cam Newton is not vaccinated here. And talking about, you know, like you said, you know, you, you want to play, you got to go through this, and it makes it a heck of a lot easier. And now if you're Bill Belichick, you know, he's got actually a quarterback battle going on with Mac Jones here. And it's pretty close. Even though Belichick is saying, hey, Cam Newton is the starter, but I like what Bill Belichick had to say. He said that like any position, he goes, that can change at any time. Now, Cam Newton's going to be away from the Patriots for the next five days, and really that's probably not that big of a deal considering you're still you know, more than two weeks away from the season opener. But the bottom line is, here is your quarterback, and you hate to say this, kind of the face of the franchise, but he kind of is because I would never want him this face of my franchise. But here's a guy that's refusing to get vaccinated. This is going to be a problem. Look, you talk about misunderstandings. As a Patriots fan, I'm having a misunderstanding of why Cam Newton's still our quarterback, especially after last year's performance. This is unbelievable to me. What I think is going to happen here is we're very quickly going to see Mac Jones take over that starting role. The New England Patriots just don't draft quarterbacks in the first round. The fact that they did this year shows that they understand that they need a, a new starting quarterback. And and it was only a matter of, of when and not if that Mac Jones became the starting quarterback ahead of Cam Newton. And I think as Cam continues to make poor choices that don't only affect him but his teammates, because, again, this one affects his teammates. Cam Newton doesn't want to be vaccinated, great. But now he doesn't get to practice for another five days. And now they, 
his teammates lose more preparation. And now some of them have to quarantine because who knows who he's been around. He continues to make poor choice after poor choice, and it affects his teammates. And his play on the field doesn't overcome those poor choices. Don't be surprised if week one, Mac Jones is starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. Well, I find it interesting, too, because according to the story, it says Newton refused to reveal his vaccination status earlier at training camp because he said that it's a personal matter. But if every team is saying we have 30 percent vaccinated, 80, 90, whatever, if someone's not giving their status, how do you put that into their stats? Or do you just assume, well, they're not vaccinated until we're sure that they are or something like that? Because even though it is a personal matter, you know that your team is giving out the numbers of who's there, so how do they include you in those stats if you won't give them the information? Well, I assume the information within the team is known. They know who's vaccinated and not. They're just not allowed to really discuss it, again, because it is a personal matter. Look, at the end of the day, the these NFL is a private company, right? And these are privately owned companies. And private companies, bosses of private companies can put in mandates and while I think there's certain things that, that you just, you know, you, you know, think of a job in a dress code. Some jobs at the casinos, you have to wear a tie and you have to wear a uniform and you have to wear a full suit with a tie. And that's what that company wants to mandate for their job. If I was an NFL owner right now and the alternative was my team may have to forfeit games, they're going to lose potential travel issues, we're going to have to test more, we're going to go through all these extra hoops and have to pay for all those extra hoops, I would just say, look, if you don't want to be vaccinated, go play for another team. All right, uh, back to college football. We actually have games this week. And we're going back to the Big Ten here. They're going to kick it all off as Nebraska is facing Illinois in Champaign here. Here are a couple programs that are you know, in a little turmoil. Uh, they haven't been real successful the last few seasons. Uh, really, this is probably the, it sounds uh, sad here, but the marquee game of a very uh, small docket, I guess you like to call it, this is like zero week for college football, right? But it is the kickoff. It reminds us all that college football is back because if you remember, the following week isn't a typical Saturday start time. It's not that, hey, college football kicks off on a Saturday. We get these five games that first Saturday, and then we get games all day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the next week. So four days after these first five games, we will basically have games nonstop for uh, for three straight days. and I think it's exciting. I do think this is the headliner right out of the gate. Really important game for both teams. Look, Scott Frost is in some hot water, you know, for some of the things he's done, holding practices out, outside of when he was supposed to and all that. But he's also on in hot water because his team has not performed up to expectations of the Nebraska faithful here. And they need to get this win. On the other side, Lovey Smith also in hot water. He was supposed to completely turn this and I program around. So we have two coaches on the hot seat here, both of them with senior quarterbacks. Brandon Peters for Illinois, Adrian Martinez for Nebraska. Both of these guys were wildly hyped up. Adrian Martinez, has been, you know, two years ago was like in the top three or four in the Heisman. Another Heisman hopeful last year. This is a guy that they had huge expectations for in Nebraska. One of these teams, one of these coaches, one of these senior quarterbacks has to step up, and I am fascinated by this zero-week game. I mean, what about the Big Ten team starting with conference games? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, when you look at this game too, Matt, I mean, considering that Illinois was probably the improved one of the decent, you know, improved teams last year, and they blasted Nebraska. They beat them by 18 points, you know, last year, and now Illinois is getting seven points at home. You know, just again, I haven't really done any homework on this game yet, but just, you know, to the blind eye, this looks like a live dog. I agree, especially with the distractions that Nebraska right. may face going into the season. With all the media attention, negative media attention that Scott Frost is getting, NCA looking into different infractions there, that can only be a distraction for a team who doesn't need any more distractions. And I'm with you. If any of the, if either of these two teams showed any 
sort of improvement last year. It was certainly the Illini who came in with much less expectations than Nebraska. You know, originally I thought this line was a little high at seven and a half or eight because Brandon Peters was questionable. Well, Brandon Peters is fully healthy and cleared, ready to go for the Illini, yet they're still a seven-point home dog. Seems a little rich to me. And in the, another game, very similar situation, too, talking about a program kind of in disarray or maybe even transition here is UCLA. They're favored by 17 against a Hawaii team that is pretty improved as well, too. So a pretty, pretty big point spread here. And let's remember UCLA next week, they got LSU coming to town. Yeah, absolutely. Huge look-ahead spot here for the Bruins, who are a substantial favorite. And their quarterback, Dorian Robinson, also had some injury concerns about a week ago, missing practice three consecutive days. Looks like he's going to be ready to go for this game. Look, they have to win this Nick game. There's no way Coach Kelly can afford to to have UCLA looking past Hawaii. I don't think the Bruins right now can afford to look past anybody. Look, they're going to be a significant underdog to LSU. They're just not at that level of competition yet. So they really need to stay focused and get the job done. And I agree with you. This Hawaii team was sneaky good last year. Not the best defense down there on the island, but boy, were they able to score the football and running the football for an offense that was so known for all those passers with Timmy Chang and, and all the other Colt Brennan and all the, all the great passers that they had down here in Hawaii. They were able to run the football last year. UCLA was not able to stop the run at all last year. Bruins better be on upset alert and better be ready. When it comes to handicapping these games, how much do you have to stay in touch with, because I would imagine it's quite a bit, of all these teams and what their home stadium uh, protocols are? Because I I know I read recently that Hawaii is not going to allow fans in, at least not the start of the season. Some of them are going to have proof of vaccination to get in, like Oregon. Others are just going to be, you know, if you have a ticket, you come to the game or whatever. How, How difficult does that make it as handicapping? And does that change, like, the home field advantage and point spread lines? Oh, it's huge, Frank. I mean, it's not just handicapping, it's odds-making. You have to try to keep up with, are they at a quarter capacity? Are they full capacity? Are they va- or is it all fans must show vaccinations? What I am hearing, though, is what we're seeing is I think the vaccinations aren't going to affect attendance too much because I think it's a better experience for the fans. What's worse, having half fans and everyone wearing masks or having 70% fans and nobody wearing masks? I mean, I think once they get in there with no masks, because of the vaccination, it's going to be a better fan experience inside the arenas. But it's between that and the transfer portal, which in college basketball and college football is just amazing. I mean, so many athletes changing, uh, changing teams constantly. It's hard to keep up with. The rosters are ever-changing. So you have to keep up with that, as well as trying to determine home field. Home field will probably be the most difficult challenge, I think, for odds makers uh, all season long this year. All right. He is Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. On the sportsbook side, we're talking with him about that from the integrity issue with uh, all of college sports. And, Matt, uh, you know, we all follow the the sportsbook contest at this time of year, whether it's the, the NFL contest or, you know, the, the, the college ones. And more and more sportsbooks are getting a little bit more creative. Uh, you know, we, we saw what Circa's doing now. Uh, you know, the Westgate's doing their thing. William Hill's adding the college football contest. You know, real quick, and we'll talk more about this in the upcoming weeks as it's, it's contest sign-up time. Best way to approach these contests and selecting maybe the right contest for you? I think contests are the one big differentiator that Nevada still has. We all see that New Jersey is doing significant more handle than Nevada. They should. They have a much higher population base to tap into. But at the end of the day, the one thing that's, I think, still a big differentiator in Nevada that we just don't see in any of these states is these big, giant, really successful contests, $10 million being go- going to be given away in the Circa Millions this year. Look, here's the thing about these contests. You can't win the contest in the first few weeks, but you sure can lose it. With so many entries now, you really need to hit 60 70%. So in these five-pick contests, like the Circle Millions, the Superbook contest, you need to go 3-2 and two every week. And 0-5 or 1-4 is really, really hard to overcome. 
So I think, you know, probably the strategy early is don't be so risk adverse. Just try to get that three and two. Two and three is not the end of the world. You go 0 and 5 week one trying to be contrarian or trying to be cute. Um, you're out. You're done, man. It's so hard to overcome that when, when the winner is probably going to hit 70% for the year and you only get to make five picks a week. So. I always like to start these contests off a little more risk-averse than, than maybe some people. Is there a contest that uh, you like better than others, or what about some advice there? Well, I do like the Circa Millions for the fact that they pay out quarters, you know, so the, you know, the top five or whatever it is per quarter. So if you're out of it early, you have that 0-5, you're still incentivized to put your picks in and try to win a quarter because it's not just a, a little prize for a quarter. I think it's 125 grand to win a quarter. So there's big money involved at the end of the day. Um, so I, I like that. But I'll tell you, I think my favorite contest is Survivor. Boy, Survivor is fun. You know, you, every week you're just rooting for that one big upset that everybody's on. Uh, Survivor is a fun contest, and I think that there's more strategy than people realize getting into those Survivor contests figuring out, okay, I'm not going to use Kansas City now because I'm going to try to wait all the way till week eight and, and mapping out when you're going to use your survivor picks. It really, really is strategic. I, I have a lot of fun participating in survivor. Right. So, so when it comes to that, because uh, you said that you're, you, you know, for some of the contests you, you lay back a little bit and you don't take that risk-reward or, you know, right at the bat, in Survivor, then, even if you have a sure pick, you're not necessarily concerned about just moving on from week to week because you think that your other pictures are going to be good enough. You'd rather have stronger teams left when it really counts? Yeah. So last year, I think we made it. We only entered one picture allowed to, I think, enter six in Survivor, and I think we still made it to week eight or nine, way down there. Um, and, and we still had Kansas City. We still had, I think, three of the best teams left when we finally went out. It was the New England Patriots that put us out. But we were able to map out some games and say, hey, if we can save these three teams, if we could get to Week 10, and I think we went out right before Week 10, but if we could get to Week 10 and still have Kansas City left and Seattle left or whoever, you know, it's three of the Tampa Bay left, and New Orleans last, well, boy, we're going to be able to use those good teams when other people can't and have a real shot at winning this thing. If you use up the best teams in the NFL weeks one through six, you end up flipping a lot of coins. Uh, so you've got to try to pick teams strategically, not just who do I think will you know, win this week so I can move on, but who do I think will win this week that I won't want to use again in the next few weeks. Um, that's part of the challenge that I think makes Survivor so appealing. Yeah, and there are so many you know contests around town again, uh, and there's new ones each and every year as well too. So, so do some homework, uh, keep updated, and we'll update you on on all those as well too. So, and it's just not for the the guys that uh, can put down you know a thousand dollars entry fees as well too. I mean, there's there are a lot of less expensive ones as well too, and there's even some free ones. Oh yeah, I think you know some of the ones that have significant prize pool or as low as $25, as high as 1500 and the whole gambit in between. And um, it's the most fun time of year when those contests start. Everybody's alive, and it's like March Madness, right? Everyone's still in it. Everybody has a hope and a prayer. So much fun. There you go. All right, my man, we appreciate it as always. Uh, we'll look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks, guys. Have Best of luck today. Take care. There he is, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. Uh, busy, busy guy. Again, uh, is in tune with all of these college football conferences, making sure everything's on the up and up. Done a fantastic job. And, of course, our longtime sportsbook director as well, too. All right, we come back. Al Bernstein will join us. We'll check in with Al. Uh, not only just uh, Pacquiao Ugas, but Al's got a call in a fight this coming weekend as well, too. Uh, Jake Paul back in the ring, and Al's going to be on the broadcast. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right, as we know, big boxing day because we had a big boxing weekend last weekend. So let's uh, tie it all up and uh, talk to our good friend from uh, Showtime Championship Boxing, Al Bernstein, the 
International Boxing Hall of Famer and uh, so many other Hall of Fames, uh, too many to mention on his resume, and uh, soon probably to be inducted into the Kenny Davidson Hall of Fame of the Tuscany uh, as well, too, for his singing prowess. What's going on, my man? I'm good. Well, that wouldn't that that would be my most uh, treasured uh, uh, Hall of Fame nomination. So there you go. It would be, but uh, I think Al, when you start performing at the Tuscany, I think you're going to have to don a bow tie like Kenny. You know, or are you just afraid just because that's Kenny's thing? You don't want to infringe on him. Yeah, maybe. Well, um, yeah, he might not like that. So I gotta be, <laughs> I gotta be careful about that. But uh, we'll, we'll look for it. We'll see what, we'll see what's going on. All right. We had fun uh, this weekend, huh? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I want to, you know, you were not on the call. You got to actually be like a, a spectator at T-Mobile Arena. I want to know how that was for you, Al. I mean, did you get oh, to visit the concession stand? What, you know, what's, what happened there? You know, it's interesting you're asking that question. I almost never get to do that, really not very often. And so uh, at a big event like that, it was fun to sit in the crowd, fun to go talk to people, uh, and and interact with fans, and um, uh, and you get a slightly different perspective watching it with people. You know, like sitting across from us. By the way, was the wrestler Booker T, who was a wonderful guy, fun guy, and uh, we had a bunch of uh, fans each rooting for different people. Though the majority of the crowd, of course, was rooting for Manny Pacquiao, but there were some Lugas fans mixed in. And it was fun. It's fun to, 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 to be around the people, and there's a lot of energy in that building. You know, I know this was a, you know, this fight was one that filled in for the original fight, Errol Spence, uh, but the place was, you know, virtually filled up, and it was, um, there was a lot of energy there. Yeah, 17,438. It was a great crowd. And now, uh, so I don't know for sure here, but I'm just going to go on a limb here. Maybe, the, do you remember the last time that you went before Saturday night in the audience? Could it be that night that we went to the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas and uh, we were kicking back, had a great dinner? You saw my daughter sing the national anthem. Was that? Yes. That, 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 yeah, we did. That, you know what? I think that was the last night I've actually went as a, <laughs> as a uh, uh, you know, as, as a fan, and that was fun. It was fun to see your daughter do that. It was fun to see the boxing, and we got to hang out, which was lovely. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, it was a a really good experience. Good deal. And, and at both uh, T-Mobile and the Cosmopolitan, at least when you went to the concession stands, they worked. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah, oh, boy, I heard about that one. Yeah, that's not so good. Uh, <laughs> that's a rough one. Uh, but, yeah, they did work. And, in fact, I did go. I went upstairs there and had a, you know, I hadn't eaten all day, so I went up and got a snack. And I was just kind of part of the fight. The girlfriend I watched on the screen uh, up in the second level just with them, with fans talking to them. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I actually did the same. And I know Frank was going to ask me because he was asking me about what I was going to eat last uh, week at there. I did. I went to Shake Shack, and I loaded up on the Shake Shack, and that's what I did. Ate it during the Guerrero fight because I don't think I was going to miss too much there. But I was just like you. I was kind of up there on the concourse talking to people, watching it, and, and downing my, my double Shake Shack burger. with. Ah, there you Frank, go. And Frank, Frank will be excited because I did get the chocolate shake as well, too. So, ah, very good. Well, you know, it is interesting, though. That undercard was very good. And even that fight produced, even though there were two fighters that were, you know, at the end of their string, they produced a pretty good fight. But the rest of that undercard was, was excellent. So that was, that was one of the things that made it a fun evening. And we saw a vicious knockout from the uh, Pacquiao protege. This yeah, he was taking all he could handle from Julio Seja, who's a very tough fighter. Seja was really, I think, winning that fight. And they'd both been down once when... Uh, uh, he came back and uh, Macasio came back and uh, just, you know, leveled him. It was amazing. All right, Al, give us uh, your takeaways as you, as you watch the fight unfold with Manny Pacquiao and your Dennis Ugas. And, you know, we, we know that Ugas delivered uh, more power punches, connected on 59% of them. Didn't seem like Pacquiao could really get inside. Uh, the footwork was not the same. I know Manny, you know, complained afterwards, you know, saying that his legs were tight. But uh, what was your overall uh, synopsis of the fight? Well, it went kind of according to the way we talked about when I was on your show and when I said leaning up, I thought it was going to be a distance fight, a pretty close fight, which I think it was, even though, you know, somewhat close, even though Ugas, I I agree with the judges, he won the fight, but, um, you know, it was a competitive fight and it was interesting to watch, at times exciting, Um, and, uh, you know, I always thought Dennis Ugas was a live dog in this fight and had a good chance to win. 
and said it regularly. Now, it didn't mean he was going to win, but but he had a chance. And it turned out that, you know, after a very quick start in the fight, Manny had his problems. I think the height and length of, of, of Ugas um, was an issue. Ugas did several things very well in this fight. He used his jab effectively for the most part during the fight. Uh, went to the body well, was warned once or twice about low blows from Russell Moore, though I don't think they were intentional in any way, and some, I don't even know if they were low. But uh, he, and he, and he, and he really found a home for that kind of looping right hand. Um, and, and those were enough, I think, to get him the victory. And I wasn't that Pacquiao embarrassed himself. He didn't. He fought fairly well. Um, but you know, wasn't these were he's 42 years old, and he wasn't quite ready after a long layoff to deal with a very skilled fighter and one that had those physical advantages. Uh, given Al Bernstein all the credit in the world, because Friday he did say Ugas was a live dog, and we're even trying to push Al to the window because again, it made a lot of sense. Wouldn't you know? Did I put a bet on Ugas? Of course not. No, of, of course, course not. Okay. I never. I'm so not prone to putting these. And I, you know, to be honest, I kind of stay away from wagering on boxing yeah. that much because I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a good look for me. Um, right. But I, you know, that was that was, he was. You know, he was a guy you could have bet on. What was the last sport you have bet on, Al? Did you? you are you a football guy? Do you bet on yeah, some baseball? I, bet, I will put some dollars down on football once in a while. I, you know, I don't have enough confidence in my own ability <laughs> to uh, to know that I might be right to, to really have the the, uh, the great conviction. But I, I will I will I will put a few dollars down on uh, football, and I do like to, to to put a few wagers down when we get to the tournament, the basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, Al, there's a saying in sports that hindsight is twenty twenty. When you look back at that fight, do you think it's because Manny was 42, because he hadn't fought in two years? Was Ugas just a better fighter? Or one thing that we touched on early in the top of the show here was a lot of people weren't talking about, it seemed like Ugas take it a little bit, took it a little bit personal that some people were saying that he wasn't really the champ because he had never won the belt in the ring, and he wanted to prove that he was the champ at that weight class. And uh, I thought he had a, a brilliant game plan, and although he threw half as many punches, connected 21 more times and more of the power punches like we talked about. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of everything you mentioned uh, was a factor. And, you know, Ugas was highly motivated for a variety of reasons, not just the championship one. And this was the opportunity of a lifetime for him. You know, he everyone's talked about how when he was 15-3, and three, he, wanted, he was dropped by top rank. He thought about retiring from the sport, uh, did not, and has put together a great streak, marred only by a very close loss to Sean Porter that could have been a win. So... He he's he's a man that is is highly motivated to do well, and and ha, has not had the opportunity, you know, for that kind of super mega fight. So yeah, he came in ready to fight, and I think that the layoff was certainly a factor. The age for Manny Pacquiao is a factor, and some of the physical dimensions of Ugas. It wasn't the greatest style matchup for for. For Manny Pacquiao, uh, and a, a combination of all those things was enough to, to you know to create a win. And let me say, I you know there were several elements that evening that I mentioned the good undercard. The main event was certainly interesting and exciting. And oh, by the way, the judges got it right, which was yeah. good. Yep, absolutely. Al Bernstein joins us. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, Sean Porter, uh, Terrence Crawford and Porter are. I guess schedule, not officially, uh, to meet each other. Uh, the WBO is having a purse bid. Al, I'll let you explain that to to our audience here exactly how this purse bid works and, uh, and, and how likely do you think this fight is? Well, the two promoters, uh, Top Rank and uh, Premier Boxing Champions, were given a chance to negotiate this fight. They couldn't do it. Uh, so it goes to it. If you want to hang on to that championship, when it goes to purse bid, you have to say, okay, I'm in. And you, uh, the, all the promoters can now bid on this fight. They can now bid. Uh, and there's a, I believe it's a 60-40 split between uh, Porter and Ugas in terms of purses. Uh, and, you, you, and you bid on the fight. 
So whether it's top rank or PBC or anybody else, you know, we saw Triller come in and outbid everybody for the uh, Teofimo Lopez uh, Cambosis fight, which apparently now does have a home and a date, I guess. I think it's in October 5th is when they're talking about it. Any promoter can bid. So it could be put on by any of the top boxing promoters. All right, even though that uh, Terrence Crawford's still under Bob Arum in top rank and, and Porter's still with Al Heyman in PBC. They could, yeah, they could end up in theory with a whole other promoter. Right. <laughs> they could end up with the fight being you know, promoted by uh, Matchroom Boxing uh, and, right. uh, and Hearn. Or, or who knows, God forbid, Triller. You never know. Yeah. Uh, you know. So I had a fighter meetings today with the... Uh, with our fighters for the August 29th pay-per-view we're doing. And when I got Logan, when uh, Jake Paul was on the line, I said, you know, I said, this will be the first fight of yours that I'm announcing without a contact tie. <laughs> and what was his response to that? <laughs> he, he started laughing. He said, I love it. That's hysterical. So he was, he was funny. I said, this will allow me to concentrate a little better. There it is. Okay. And uh, pay-per-view uh, Showtime uh, event coming up. And I use the word event here because that's exactly yeah, what it is. You know, but I, I'll tell you what. It's going to be a fun night. And I'm not just chilling by saying that. Yeah. We have a really good undercard. Um, you, you know, do? we have yes. Ivan Branchik and Montana Love. That's going to be a war. Amanda Serrano defending her title. Uh, against Mercado, Yemelith Mercado, who is a champion of another weight coming up to her. Uh, we've got Daniel Dubois. Uh, you know, there, we have a really nice undercard for this, and I think, I believe, the Paul Woodley fight is going to be an interesting event to look at. So for those people that are, are interested, you know, they'll find it, uh, you know, to be intriguing. But I do think overall it's created a good card of boxing. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. You mentioned you talked to both, uh, you know, today fighter means Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley, UFC fighter. What, what did you learn about each of these guys that maybe you didn't know about them heading into this, Al? Well, one of the interesting things is Woodley pointing out that, you know, he's fought as an MMA fighter at 170. But to do so, he's had to cut weight so dramatically that he's really, because he's fighting Jake Paul up around 192 is the, the weight class that, or the weight limit that they have, that he said this is truly his true fighting weight, that if he had his druthers, this would be kind of the weight he'd fight at, and that his battle to lose weight oftentimes, to cut weight, was, the, was a battle that also affected him in the ring. Um, so that I thought was, you know, was interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, with Jake Paul, I, I think probably what was interesting was the the uh, the list of people that he has sparred with for this fight. You know, um, they uh, he's uh, Andrew Tabidi was among them, and uh, um, um, the light, former light heavyweight champion was among them. He's trained by B.J. Flores, so he surrounded himself with uh, you know with good boxing people, and I think that. Part of it is, for whatever you want to say, um, uh, you know, that, that's a help to him. The fact that he has had those kind of people, uh, you know, Jean Pascal and Jay Leon Love, Dennis Cratchow, who's a, a top fighter. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's got people around him that are, are good boxing people, so uh, however much that allows him to develop, it'll be helpful. You know, you mentioned that uh, it's a good undercard on this fight card because, you know, it's easy for some people in the media or just in the general public to take shots at fights like this. But Jake Paul is giving it, he's putting on a card here. He's giving other boxers a chance. I mean, what do the other fighters feel about being on the undercard of a card with two guys that aren't really necessarily legitimate boxers? I would think that they probably just look at it as an opportunity to get a payday and maybe make a name for themselves and catch a promoter's eye or something like that. Everybody yeah, wants to look do. at the they're negative. Perfect, but, yeah. There are two perfect examples of that. One is Montana Love, who's fighting uh, Ivan Baranchik. Now, Baranchik comes back off his you know, fight of the year loss to Zepeda, which he points out, people say it was a good fight. He said, I didn't think it was a good fight. I lost. I got knocked out. So they can say it's fight of the year, but it wasn't good to me. But he needs an important win to get back into the 140-pound picture. And Montana Love is 15-0-1, a really good fighter from Cleveland who's on the verge of breaking through at 140. He's had a difficult life, spent a couple years in prison, 
he rebuilt himself, became a, a you know a really good fighter in the last few years. He's just been active and fought really well. This is a huge opportunity for him. He a win for him will push him into the upper echelon 140 pound division. And Amanda Serrano uh, in her fight, this gives her an opportunity. She's been seen, of course, but this is a really good window of opportunity. And if enough people buy onto this pay-per-view, she'll be seen and get attention because, as she pointed out, they're going to watch the main event. they got to see me just before it. Um, she wants to smoke out Katie Taylor, who she was close to having a fight with, and they, the negotiations never quite worked out. They, You know, it was close. And then two of other two of the champions in her weight class, the other champions on her 26-pound, won't fight her. They were offered... Um, Huge purses for them, uh, from their standpoint, to fight on this card, and they didn't. So it's an important opportunity for her. So yeah, you're right. They see it as a, as a great opportunity, and 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 that's what it is for them. All right, Al Bernstein will be on the call. Uh, very good undercard in the main event. Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley, uh, pay per view uh, presented by Showtime coming up on Saturday night. No Sunday, actually, uh, Sunday. It's a Sunday one. Uh, it is a Sunday one, exactly. Yeah, yeah I, see, I have to rethink myself. Uh, when I'm traveling and uh, when yeah. the fight is. Yeah, and again, we're all messed up here because usually SummerSlam and wrestling always has that on a Sunday. They had a Legion right. Stadium on a Saturday, and now we're used to these these boxing, you know, uh, and UFC on Saturday nights, and this is on Sunday. So, yeah, we're all confused. 2021, here. everything is a bizarre world. What you used to know doesn't make any sense anymore. Hey, you know what else is a bizarre world? Uh, Al Bernstein's Cubs, you know. <laughs> Al, when's the last time you you looked at a Cubs game or looked at a box oh, score? Cow. It's got to be disappointing. Oh my God, Isn't it terrible! Is so, it's so it's so painful. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I mean, we don't even have to talk about and it. Things <laughs> went from they were never going to be a great baseball team this year, but of course, when they had all their stars, they were adequate. They and or at least they appeared to be adequate and were just you know they would have moments where it looked like they were actually going to make a final run as a group. Uh, and that did not happen, and then they were broken up. And, and now, of course, it's, you know, we're back to the first year of Theo Epstein when he came there, um, when he had to rebuild when, he, when they were in a, a desperate situation. So, um, so, it, so I guess the answer to your question is I probably won't be around 100 years from now when they win <laughs> another World Series. But you know what, Al, in a strange kind of way, it all makes sense in this year. The major league teams have gone to Iowa, and the Iowa Cubs have come to Chicago. <laughs> yes, that, now, is, that is exactly true. I think that, that, that explains the year perfectly. Okay, Al, you, you, this is a big question here because you are a Chicago native here. Are you one of those staunch Cub fans that just will not root for the White Sox, even though the South Side, uh, they, they're cleaning up this year and they could be the team going to the World Series? Absolutely, no, absolutely not. I grew up in the South Side of Chicago. I grew up there you go. 15 minutes from Comiskey Park um, and went to see the White Sox uh, a lot when I was younger. It just I, I gravitated to the Cubs more as, for whatever reason. Well, I used to go to, the, to Comiskey Park at a night game where it was really chilly and watch Joel Horland win 2-1, <laughs> to one, and the two runs would be scored – from a, a you know a walk, steal second, fly ball to left, and then a sacrifice, and then they'd come in, right? So that was the extent of the scoring. And I, then I went out in the daytime to Wrigley Field and watched the Cubs lose 14-9 to to the Cardinals, and it, balls were flying all over the place. And I said, you know what, this is a little more entertaining, uh, so I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll come to this, even though it was torture for my whole life. But... Uh, I, li- I like the White Sox. I'm happy. I, my family, it's a, sh- it's a split between the White Sox and the Cubs, uh, and I am always happy for them to do well. And I, this is going to be a very interesting year for them, right? right. I mean, I, they, they appear to have most of the pieces in place to make a run in the playoffs, even though you never know when teams can. I think that is the first and probably only time, maybe the last time we'll get a Joe Horland reference on this program. Yeah. And if you go back over the north side at that point in time, I thought you were going to give us maybe a Milt Pappas reference. Oh, Milt Pappas, yes, <laughs> who came to us from the, uh, uh, from the Reds, I think, um, and in another Sterling trade that the Cubs made. The only one worse was Ernie Brolio for Lou Brock. Um, <laughs> That's, that's the one that will haunt us forever. Oh, yeah. All right. Al Bernstein's got his podcast, too. Al uh, Bernstein Unplugged. Uh, 
Plug it, Al. Plug the unplugged. Yeah, that's it. Well, people hopefully enjoy it. It's on YouTube and it's on all the major podcast uh, uh, locations. And uh, we interview a lot of great folks in the sport of boxing. Tony Harrison, former 154-pound champion, will be on the show coming up this week. So um, take a look. It's uh, a lot of fun. We've got a lot of, lot of great boxing folks on there. All right. And you know our, our cracked research staff here. They dug up Al Bernstein singing. Here we go. Look at this. Singing there, Al. Just in time from uh, Broadway musical of the same name. Uh, I'm in a green tune. Nice song. That's right. Just in time. Al Bernstein, the, the king of the uh, of uh, the, the the great standards in the American Songbook. You gotta love it. Yeah. And I'm gonna mix in on October 8th yeah. when I perform at Kenny's before the night before the. Uh, the uh, Fury Wilder. I'm going to mix in some. You know me. I, I try yeah. to mix in some tunes in addition to the Great American Songbook, yeah. and uh, I've, I've made it my mission to find songs about Alabama uh, to honor uh, Deontay Wilder and British songs to honor uh, Tyson Fury. Very nice. All right, good. Uh, All right. And, and real quick, I think I'll appreciate this. I once saw a triple header of baseball in Chicago. Saw the Cubs oh lose two games to the Expos. Larry Bittner actually pitched in one of them because they were getting blown out. The first baseman then took the uh, L train down to Comiskey and saw the White Sox. By the end of that day, oh. I didn't need baseball for a couple days. <laughs> oh, you are a dedicated man, Frank. That's awesome. All right, Larry Bittner, Ron Kanatowski would uh, would appreciate that reference. All right, Al, we, we appreciate it. Have a great call. Safe, uh, safe uh, travels and everything else, and uh, we'll talk hey, to you soon, guys. buddy. All right, take, there he is, Al Bernstein, on the call this week. Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley. All right, uh, good stuff there. I want to thank Al, Sam Gordon, talking about Pacquiao and Ugas, and also Matthew Holt talking a little college football as well, too. All right, tomorrow, Terrible Tuesday style. And uh, putting a little bow and wrap on this, uh, you know, tomorrow with uh, Manny Pacquiao. Showtime Sean Porter, who was on the coverage uh, Saturday uh, with uh, PBC and Fox. And... Getting ready to get into the ring with the purse bid right now against Terrence Crawford. So Showtime Sean Porter will join us tomorrow as well, too. So busy week, and we get ready for college football starting this weekend. Looking forward to it. All right, for Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. Numbchuck on the other side. If you miss any part of the show and any of our fight coverage or anything on the website, you know where to go. TCMartinShow.com. We'll catch you tomorrow at 2.